So just Friday, two days ago, I played hide-and-go-seek with my grandson again. He's six years old, and he was, he's been over for the weekend. He literally just went home, and he comes to Sunday school up here when he's with us. And as we played hide-and-go-seek, you know, you count down, then you say, ready or not, ready or not. And I talked to my son, it reminded, my grandson, it reminded me of our worship series. And so I briefly said a word to him about our worship series, and yeah, he wasn't very impressed. And so we still played hide-and-go-seek, and we still had a fun time together. But it just reminded me that as we enter this new year and as we face change of any kind, because we all face change of some kind or another, that um, we need to sort of live into this concept, ready or not. And the gift of ready or not is, man, we are ready whether we think we are or not because God is with us, right? That's a part of what we've been discovering these last several weeks is God is with us. And as we traverse through the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, we've discovered he has a lot of wisdom to teach us about how to face the challenge of change and how to understand that God really is with us as we go through change. And so a few weeks ago when we uh, looked at Joshua chapter 1, we discovered that we could be strong and courageous because the Lord our God goes with us wherever we go, right? And so no matter what our change is, whether personally or in our jobs or in community, we know that God goes with us. And last week, Pastor Doug talked about Rahab and how we have these allies that we can rely on sometimes. We don't always understand they're there. We don't always understand how they can help us, but we know that we have these allies and these allies can help us and we need to rely on them. Today, I wanna to talk a little bit more about the powerful way that Joshua can teach us about how to face the challenge of change. I believe he has some very clear biblical principles for us that will help us face change because as we've been talking, change just comes. It is the one thing constant. It is the one thing that we always have to face. And each one of us faces a myriad of change going on in our lives in any number of ways. And of course, our church is facing change. Our denomination is facing change. Our country and our world is facing change. And we've got to figure out, golly, what do we do with that? How do we face that? How do we live into that? And what is God going to do to help us face this change? So um, some of you will recall the great story in the book of Joshua about Joshua and Jericho and the wall that came tumbling down. Some of us did learn it, as uh, Pastor Karen pointed out, from Sunday school. But even if we didn't grow up in Sunday school and didn't have that upbringing, man, many of us have heard the concept in this powerful testimony of how the Israelites were able to uh, tear down the walls of Jericho and, and get into the promised land. And that's the gift that we have today is to discover the way in which they did that because it was promised to them by God. And the way in which God always works is what God promises God fulfills. And we want to discover that a little bit today. So in Joshua chapter 5, we have an, an, a unique encounter that Joshua has with an angel of God. It's referred to as a, an, a general in the army of God, right? A, a representative of God's army comes and speaks to Joshua and reminds him or tells him, rather, that he's going to get the town of Jericho and that God will hand that over to him. And there's this powerful image, actually, in chapter 5, where um, God, the angel says to, to uh, Joshua, You're, you need to take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. The exact same phrase that God had spoken to Moses when he got called. And so it's a way to connect the dots between Moses and, and uh, Joshua and the, the call that God is giving to them to move from slavery into the promised land. And so when we find ourselves in chapter 6, he's had this encounter, and we begin a journey in chapter 6 of the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Listen to these words. 
Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the Israelites. No one came out and no one went in. So it's a fortified city. The walls are all up, the gates are all closed, and they're prepared for whatever may come. Somehow they are forewarned that the Israelites are coming, and so they've shut up the walls, right? The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you along with its king and soldiers. You shall march around the city, all the warriors circling the city once. Thus you shall do for six days." with seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, the priests blowing the trumpets. When they made a long blast with the ram's horn, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and all the people shall charge straight ahead. Now, most of us, if we learn this in Sunday school, that's pretty much what we learned. Right? Those are the instructions. That's what's going to happen. And we can visualize and we can kind of see all those things, right? But then they have to act on that. They can't just hear the instructions from Joshua. They can't just understand what they're supposed to do. They've got to act on that, right? So we move a few verses down into verse 12, and it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. This is important. The ark of the Lord. This is where God's presence was known to be. This is where the Ten Commandments had been placed, the, the Torah, actually. And, and everywhere the ark went, God's presence went with it. And so if we have the ark, if we're taking the ark with us, it means that God is going before us and God is going to lead us. So it becomes important that we not just march six times and that we blow the trumpet six times, but that we have the ark of the Lord with us, right? So verse 13, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord passed on, blowing the trumpets continually. The armed men went before them, and the rear guard came up after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. On the seventh, second day, they marched around the city once and then returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And you can feel it, right? You can sense it. You can, it's almost as if you're right there. And as the people shout, something powerful is going to happen, right? Skip on to verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. Then they devoted to destruction by the edge of the sword all in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox, sheep, and donkeys. Wow. Wow. That last verse kind of catches us off guard. I mean, we, we didn't learn that in Sunday school. They killed everybody. They killed everybody, all the animals, all the people. And, and we've got to pause for just a minute because it, it kind of it causes a little bit of, of concern. We're like, man, I thought this was a good thing, and I thought, man, this was going to help us get to the promised land, and, and the people did everything God told them to do, and, and all was good, and then all of a sudden they slaughtered everybody. And we've got to ask ourselves, why? I mean, is, is, is that what God commanded? What, did God say, kill everybody, slaughter everything? And if you read all of chapter 6, God doesn't say that. 
Now, there are other parts of Old Testament where God says, you need to do that. And we have to ask our questions, why would God say that and why would God do that? Here, that's not the case. Here, the Israelites knew that the city was theirs and knew that the wall would come down and knew that God had instructed them that the city was theirs. That's all good. But in this particular case, it appears that the people in all of their humanity, sinful nature, uh, uh, greediness, whatever, whatever, however you want to define that, they determine, well, I guess the way we take the city, the way we take the king and take the city is we got, we got to kill everybody. So I just want to acknowledge that God did not command that, but mortality and more, uh, uh, the mortal humans did. But it nonetheless still carries the powerful truth of the total totality of the story, which is what God promises, God will always fulfill. The story is about how God promised that the Israelites would make it to the promised land and they'd have to go through the tumult of uh, Jericho and the walls would come down and the shouts would cause it. But now we know that God fulfills the promise and that's the truth of the story. I just want to start there because it helps us to know the total picture. And a part of what we begin to see is there's a powerful image of what it is God can do when we choose to follow God's will and God's ways. This is what Joshua is going to teach us today. Joshua is going to give us some biblical principles to help guide us through facing the challenge of change. Because I hope we would all agree that what it is Joshua and the Israelites are going through is change. It's big positive change, right? We're going to go into the promised land. The promised land is going to be full of milk and honey. It's going to be a good uh, and wonderful place. And we will raise our families and we will follow our faith and we will be uh, committed to God. But it's changed nonetheless. And all change, whether positive or otherwise, all change brings stress and offers challenge, right? And so part of what we want to do today is discover how it is that Joshua and the Israelites face the challenge of that change and what principles we can glean from that that can help us out today. So the first thing that Joshua teaches us uh, is found in verse 2. And it literally just says in verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have handed Jericho over to you along with its kings and its soldiers. And instantly we go, okay, so God's, you know, laid it out. God has said what's going to happen. And now it's up to Joshua and the Israelites to determine, do I trust God or not? Do I trust that God is true? Do I trust that God has a way forward? Do I trust that all of this is going to work out as God has said? So I think the first thing we learn from Joshua is simply, uh, if we're going to face the challenge of change, we need to trust that God is with us. Now, we, we discovered this a few weeks ago when we talked about the fact that we can be strong and courageous because the Lord our God goes before us, right? And we determined that the only way we can be strong and courageous is if we trust that God is with us, if we believe that God is true to God's word. And so Joshua literally believes that, right? He does exactly what God told him to do. The Israelites follow the instructions to the letter, right? I mean, they, they march several days, and then they march the seventh day, and they do it seven times, and they, they blow the horns, and they take the Ark of the, Ram, uh, the, the, Ark of the Covenant, and they, they do everything that uh, Joshua has commanded them to do because they trusted that what God had said would be true. Now, if you are like me, I want to trust God, I hope that I will trust God, 
but I sometimes fail at that trust, right? I sometimes can't quite get there. I can't quite somehow bring myself to believe that God's going to do what God says God's going to do. I, be I believe God, and I, I, I have faith in God, but I can't always bring myself to trust God the way I know that I should. And that's a part of our challenge, right? Part of our challenge is finding out, well, how can I really believe that this is true? And a part of the reason I think many of us have uh, trust issues is because we've had people in our own families, our own lives, our own work colleagues, our own neighbors, people that we have known and trusted who broke our trust, right? And, and so we, we, we wonder, golly, can I, can I trust God too? These other people I can't trust. And one of the ways I rely on that is I reflect on Scripture, right? Golly, what, what has God done and what has God promised before and what do I see in the biblical witness? And here's one of the things that I see that I know you see too. Every time, every time God makes a promise, God follows through. God never backs away from a promise. God never reneges on a promise. God never steps back from a promise. God always fulfills the promise that God has established. That's good news, right? And that's a part of what we can base our trust in is that in Scripture we realize that God has never backed away from a promise. Golly, that's a pretty good standard, right? And then I have to reflect, well, if I, if I can't quite get to trust, maybe I can recognize that trust... It's just another word for faith, right? I mean, faith is trust. And I have faith that God loves me. I have faith that God wants the best for me. I have faith that God knows more than I do. And so if I can try to wrap my mind around the fact that faith and trust have high correlation, I know I don't always have the strongest of faith, but I, I can lean into faith more than I can sometimes lean into trust. My challenge to all of us is, is that we learn how to faithfully trust God's promises. You know, isn't it interesting that I can get in a car and I trust wholeheartedly it's going to get me from point A to B. I can sit in the wonderful confines of my home and trust that I'm going to be safe and secure. I can interrelate and interact with friends and trust that I'm going to have a good time and we're going to relate together and all will be well. But I struggle sometimes with, can I trust God? There's a reason they call the book of Proverbs a book of wisdom because it's full of pithy phrases and, and all of those pithy phrases are good wisdom and insight from God. And some of you will know one of the most famous uh, Proverbs about trust, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. And man, there's huge wisdom in that, right? Because when I lean on my own understanding, when I try to figure it out myself, when I try to make things work as I think they're supposed to work, and God kind of gets left in the background, I don't know about your life, but in my life, every time that happens, it gets messed up. But every time, I have enough faith to trust God to trust that somehow God knows what needs to happen or that God has more wisdom than me or that God has better insight than me, then I can trust God. It, guess what? It, it works out because God can be trusted. And that's a powerful lesson that Joshua begins to help us as we face change and we're uncertain about that change and what it's going to bring and how it's going to turn out and, golly, I don't understand everything. How can I trust God? that God will be with me wherever I go. That's the gift that Joshua begins to teach us.
The second gift that he begins to teach us when we face the challenge of change is this word that, um, man, it almost, it, it, we struggle getting it off our tongue and we struggle trying to live into it because we don't really like it in modern day times because we like to be self-driven, self-motivated, self-inflating. But what Joshua teaches us is the biblical principle of obedience. Obedience to God's word, obedience to God's teachings, obedience to who God is and what it is God is calling us to. Listen to verse 8. We didn't read verse 8 in chapter 6, but I, I get a kick out of it because it clearly takes obedience. It says this, As Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Man, that's a bunch of instruction, right? And don't you imagine that one or two of them said to oneself, probably not aloud, but to themselves, we got to do what? You're, we got to blow horns and carry the ark and march around and go here and do that. And what, why do we got to do all that? Why can't we just take the city? You told us we can take the city. You see, obedience calls us to do things that we don't always understand or believe will work. But because we trust God, we will be obedient to God's call because we know that it works. Because <laughs> here's the other truth about Scripture. Every time, in both Old and New Testament, without exception, for those who are obedient to God, God blesses them. There's no exception to this rule. Every time, whether it was Moses or, or uh, uh, Jacob or Abraham or uh, Isaac or, or any of the prophets or any of the disciples, when they were obedient to what God called them to do, even when they didn't understand, didn't appreciate, didn't want to, were scared to death, but when they were obedient, God blessed them. And you know, the blessing takes all kinds of shapes. I mean, the blessings of God could be a peace that passes all understanding, or it could be an assurance that God is with us, or a recognition that God really goes before us wherever we go. The blessing takes a myriad of forms, but when we receive the blessing, we know that it's a blessing. And obedience leads to that. And I think the Israelites understood this because in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, in Exodus, when, when Moses is trying to get the uh, people to the promised land before he passes, you know, he, he gets this word from the Lord and, and, and he, com he commits it to the people as well. It comes from Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 5, and it literally just says, now if you obey me, some translations say, now if you obey my voice, if you obey me and keep my commandments, you will be among my treasured choice among all of creation. And a part of what that conversation between God and Moses and between Moses and the people says is that when you obey my voice and when you obey my teachings, you will be blessed. And so as we face the challenge of change, a part of our calling is to be obedient to who God calls us to be, to be obedient to what God desires for us in our world, to recognize that even though I may not understand why this is happening or how we're going to get there, whatever this change is, if I will be obedient to the teachings of God, then all will be well. 
the obedience of teachings of God says, man, somehow God knows more, understands more than me, and obedience bridges the gap. And it helps us to realize that my ways are not the best ways, that my understandings are not the best understandings, but God's are. And so Joshua and the Israelites were obedient to blow the horns, to carry the ark, to take the march, to shout aloud. And in the obedience, they were blessed. The third thing that they teach is for me personally one of the hardest. The concept here is not only should we trust and not only should we be obedient, but we should be patient or have patience. And if you are like me, when I'm going through change, I usually um, have a couple of different responses. Either I hate it and I don't want to do it, or I absolutely love it and I cherish it, right? Uh, some of you may know this. Uh, one of the things that I do in the household, I'm the primary shopper, not the sole shopper, but I, I love to go grocery shopping. And our local grocery store has changed everything. All the aisles, all the produce, all the product, it's all on different shelves. It's all in different aisles. It's all in different places. I hate it. Yeah. It makes it hard to shop, doesn't it? And so sometimes that's our response to change. I hate it. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. On the other hand, sometimes my response to change is really quite uh, positive and powerful. I had an absolutely life-transformative experience two weeks ago. I mean, it changed my life for the better forever. I drove a car that had adaptive cruise control. <laughs> Have you ever used one of those? Adaptive cruise control. It made my life transformative. I could make a 20-hour a, a, a journey to California on my own. There were other people in the car, but I drove the whole way because of adaptive cruise control. I'd never had it before. How many of you have had adaptive cruise control? How many of you love it? Only some of you. It's a funny deal, right? But for me, I loved it. And by golly, the next car I get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure it has it, right? It's fascinating how we deal with change. But often, patience is not a part of it. And I learned patience, or rather impatience, from my daddy. My daddy's been gone 30 years, but I learned very early on when we, did, when we would go to restaurants. And by the way, when I went to a restaurant with my parents when I was young, it was a fast food place, and that was a treat, and don't you forget it. But if it was going to take more than five or ten minutes to get our food at that fast food place, my dad would say, forget it, I'm not staying, let's go. And I learned that very quickly, that golly, that must be how you do, right? And so uh, my family will attest to you that if we go to a restaurant and it's more than 30 minutes... I will say, forget it, let's go, we're not staying. And they will, you know, kind of go and they will all kind of pout and walk out the door. My dad was so impatient, he would, he would show up late to everything so that he wouldn't have to wait for anything, right? This is how impatient he was. And so that's how I learned to be impatient. It's a struggle for me. Perhaps it is for you. But notice verse 14 of chapter 6 says this, on the second day they marched around the city once and then returned to the camp. They did this for six days. And again, 
you know, I'm the guy who asks all the questions. But I guarantee you that after about the second or third day, there were one or two of the guys going, we got to do this again. I mean, aren't two or three times enough? I mean, you told us we were going to get the city. Can't we just do it two or three times? Won't that? And then on day four or five, I'm sure there were another couple of folks who went, why are we doing this six times? I mean, I don't get it. And then on the seventh day, we got to do it seven times? I mean, they're my people. They're impatient. But notice, they did it. They did exactly what they'd been instructed. They did exactly what was needful. And they had the patience to stick with it. Patience um, is a virtue, they say, right? And there's a reason it's a virtue, because it can often be hard for some of us. But a part of what Joshua teaches us is when we are trusting in God and when we're obedient to the cause and when we have the patience to follow through, God honors that patience and God is helpful in that patience. You know, I, I, I don't know who said this. I saw this saying the other day and, and, and I just, there's some truth in it, right? And, and it just said, um, patience is what makes the dreams come true. I don't know if that's true or not, but what I believe in that is patience helps us get to the dreams, right? Patience helps us strive for the dreams because sometimes dreams are hard. But notice what dreams also bring, change, and sometimes even challenge. And patience can help us get there. I don't know this guy at all. In fact, one of the high school youth uh, approached me after the 930 service, told me they'd studied this guy. Maybe you've studied him. I don't know who the guy is. His name is Moliere. He was a French uh, playwright and actor. And he said this about patience. The slowest growing trees grow the best fruit. I don't know if that's true either. <laughs> but man, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, that the slowest growing trees can produce a beautiful harvest, can produce a, a tasty fruit, can, can help make something amazing. I believe that when we're patient with God, when we don't understand and it doesn't make sense and change is coming right at us, that if we'll have patience with God the same way God has patience with us on a regular basis, right? Things seem to work out. I've begun to rely more and more heavily on Paul's wisdom when he writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12. He talks about rejoicing with hope and quite literally um, being patient in affliction and persevering in prayer. I think there's a lot of value in that, right? Rejoice, persistence, prayer. One thing I just want to share with you, I, would, uh, I think I would be remiss if I didn't, that I'm so proud, so pleased, so um, honored to work with your trustees, the local property stewards. Over the last 18 months, they have been patient. They have been obedient. They have been trusting. And they've been working and striving towards a, a common goal. We're going to have a meeting this afternoon at 2 that will be about their patience and about their obedience and about their um, trusting. And it's all about hard decisions and hard choices and things that we don't necessarily uh, understand or perhaps even necessarily want. And, and all I want to say to you is their work has been faithful and true. 
Their commitment has been beyond reproach in terms of trying to be obedient to God's call and try to be uh, trusting in the way God is uh, directing us and guiding us. And, and they've clearly been patient because many of us, myself included, would have wanted answers yesterday and to move forward yesterday and to get this done. But they have been diligent and discerning and deliberate and faithful. And I believe it's because they understand these biblical principles of trust and obedience and patience. And I'm excited that when that happens, that we can know that God goes before us. And so when I read Joshua this week or, or any week and I read that the, the walls came tumbling down because God had made a promise and God had established a way forward and God had made this possible, I see that when they trusted and when they were obedient and when they um, were patient, it all came to fruition. And I know for each one of us, maybe we struggle with trust or maybe we struggle with obedience or maybe we struggle with uh, patience. My challenge to each of us is to figure out a way to live most fully into that gift and recognize God's calling in your heart that when you face change, whatever it is, personal, corporate, that God is there, that God is with you, and that God can help you. And what I know to the core of my gut and to the depths of my heart is this, that when we live most fully into those biblical principles, we can indeed face the challenge of change with hope and with courage rather than with fear and trembling. I choose hope. I pray you do too. And I pray together that we'll find a way to trust God, to be obedient to God, and to have God's patience in all of our days. And when we do, we will genuinely find a way to face change with hope. Thanks be to God for that powerful gift. Will you pray with me? Holy and beloved God, thank you. Thank you for your servant Joshua, who is faithful to the core, who followed your will and your way, and who offers us great wisdom and insight into how it is we can be faithful and true. God, guide us this day and the next. Help us to have courage and strength, and help us most of all, God, when we don't understand and when it doesn't seem to make sense and we, when we don't have all the answers, to trust you and your teachings, to be obedient to all of your ways, and to know that we have patience enough to follow your will. God, may this be so in our lives and in the world. Thank you for that great good news. In the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ, we pray. Amen.